0: everybody. Welcome back for another episode of The ByWord Show. So glad you're here today. I am really, really excited about this episode. I'm excited to introduce you guys to Melissa Johnson. You guys, I've been following along with her for a little bit and just hearing her story and now she's got this book coming out. I just think this is going to be such a cool and timely and needed conversation. So Melissa, first of all, thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me, Hannah. I'm excited for our conversation.
0: Yes. I can't wait. Well, for those who don't know you yet, would you just kind of introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, So I do a couple of different things. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist up here in Minnesota. And so um, I spend part of my time seeing clients through a private practice up here. Um, I also teach at uh, Bethel University. I'm an adjunct professor. So I'm actually with the book coming out this semester, I'm not teaching, but I'll be back there in the fall teaching a class called Introduction to Wellbeing. So it's a class Mm. essentially on soul well-being. I'm a certified spiritual director as well, but I'm not doing much with that at this moment, Um, though I do think that that is a part of like my worldview and how I integrate uh, spirituality and faith into uh, everything that I do. And then I also host a podcast and blog called Impossible Beauty, which is all about redefining beauty as the life of God at work in us and among us. And then finally, I'm a new author. um, I have my book coming out on June 6th called Soul Deep Beauty, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawless. And so that is what
0: I'm spending a lot of my time on currently. Wow so many things and all amazing. I'm just like astounded by you. This is so cool. It's Mm got to be so interesting too with your therapy background and the well-being world. Mm -hmm. And then also you've got this passion for beauty. So how did all of that come about? How did you get so passionate about beauty? Yeah. So it's interesting because it was
1: not like a part of my journey that I anticipated or even like desired initially. Um, So when I was, um, I was seeing clients about probably like nine years ago now, and I was also seeing my own personal therapist and it came to my attention via my therapist that I should be getting, or not should be getting, um, she invited me to get some more intentional help around what she was calling an eating disorder. And Mm -hmm. I was kind of shocked by that um, because I felt that a lot of the things I was doing seemed, quote healthy because of our culture. And um, what I I ended up realizing that there was something kind of out of whack in my life. And so I did end up doing intensive eating disorder th- uh, treatment. And through that journey, I ended up seeing like the unhelpful messages that women were believing, women and men actually, were believing in the therapy rooms in intensive eating disorder treatment were actually the same messages that people were believing outside of the therapy rooms. Mm-hmm. I saw how the souls within the eating disorder therapy world were being depleted because of these messages, but I saw the same thing happening in the outside world. And so I got to this point where I realized just how those messages had been like sucking the life from my own experience. And again, just seeing it in the, those same messages at work in the wider world. And just realized like, I can't like not say something about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from that, uh, it's kind of, this is already kind of a long story, but a longer story about how that developed into um, Impossible Beauty, the podcast and needing to redefine beauty. um, And then what is now the book as well.
0: Wow. That's amazing. it's so funny that you mentioned that because I had an eating disorder as well when I was younger. And Mm -hmm. it's so funny that you mentioned how you didn't even realize (laughs) that you you wouldn't have even identified yourself as someone who was struggling with that because it was the same for me. I always Mm -hmm. saw, you know, these documentaries or these pictures of girls with really severe cases. And I thought, Oh no, like it's not that bad for me. Like I'm just doing what the internet says I need to do to be pretty and healthy and thin and fit or whatever. And I mean, I was 12. I mean, I just, I was just looking at these messages and receiving them as like, oh yeah, this is just what I need to do in order to be beautiful, in order to be accepted. And it's just crazy how ingrained that messaging is into our culture that you and I and so many others could just feel like, oh, that's normal. Like, oh, there's nothing even wrong with that. You know? Yes. Yes. And I'm glad that you brought that up because
1: I do think that there are some, a number of misunderstandings about eating disorders as well. Because I think same with you. Like I grew up seeing, yeah, whether it's a documentary or a like, I remember there's like one TV, um, made-for-tv movie drama or something about Tracy Gold. Um, I don't know if you're if you're old enough to remember <laughs> that show, but like, um, probably not. She was in Growing Pains, an older show. Um, but just this idea, this like caricatured um idea of someone being emaciated. But what a lot of people don't know. Is that you can have an eating disorder in any size or shape body, um, in you know any gender, right. any age. And I think sometimes we have this idea that you, know, you have to be 14 and Caucasian and upper middle class, or um, and those things are just not true. Um, right. And so I think oftentimes it gets. I mean, there are a number of reasons. I think people don't realize it's an issue because of our like how normalized it is in our culture. Some of these struggles, but also um, and beliefs. But also because I think of that caricature that we have oftentimes of, you know, the that teen girl, um yeah, with, with an eating disorder.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. So along with that, you did mention that we are just believing these lies. Men and women, kids, any age, it doesn't matter what your race is, what your background is. As part of American culture, we are receiving these messages. Every day, pretty much everywhere we look. So what are these lies that you've noticed we are receiving about beauty and all these standards and how is it impacting us?
1: Yeah. And there's so many messages, Hannah. I think that that's <laughs> such a good, I mean, it's such a good question. Um, you know, I think one of the, the biggest things that I've experienced in my own life is this, the impact of um, like thinness as uh, like <laughs> our representation for beauty and for health. Um, And so I think we have like a double whammy there kind of when it comes to uh, like almost like losing weight being the linchpin for social acceptance, happiness, Mm. health. I mean, we just put so much emphasis on weight loss as the key, like the silver bullet, so to speak. Um, And so I think that 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 is one thing that I see um another thing is what jean kilborn who's an activist and um she has been researching like advertising for literally decades she talks about this idea of um absolute flawlessness and that was true i would say you know in print ads in the the 90s you know when i grew up and would look at magazines and things like that we had photoshopping and that those technologies are you know clearly still around and um at work But also I think what has made this idea of absolute flawlessness being the norm even worse is obviously social media where it's not only, you know, celebrities who have been Photoshopped, but it is um, our friends and and our own image um, that is like these images are literally unreal. And so then we go and compare ourselves or look at ourselves in the mirror and um, it's like it's a it's like a almost. I don't know how it can't be a trigger for shame. This idea of like, I am not, um, you know, my skin maybe isn't as flawless as that literally cartoon version of myself. Um, (laughs) like, and it's, it's like, it's kind of laughable. It's like when we actually talk about it that way, but then, you know, our brains don't realize that, that we're comparing ourselves to, you know, a fake, a fake image. And so, um, those are a couple of the things that I see, And, um, well, so kind of going back to that thin ideal, we see like, so, um, there's one survey that, that occurred where, um, I I think it was like Glamour magazine that did it in partnership with, um, Chapel Hill that in this survey, 97% of the women recognized having a one, I hate my body moment during the day. And so we're seeing epidemic numbers of body dissatisfaction. I would also Mm. say that, you know, I think post-pandemic and also during the pandemic, we see the prevalency of eating disorders going up. We also see disordered eating. In another survey, 75% of the women surveyed um, reported that they engaged in disordered eating behaviors. And, you know, I think kind of to kind of to the same point that we were naming earlier in our conversation that I think oftentimes these reports that we have of disordered eating and eating disorders are only because if we, if we recognize it, you know, we can only report it if it's right. recognized. But in both your case and my case, and I actually just released an interview on my podcast, Impossible Beauty, of another woman who had an eating disorder and did not know it. Um, mm. and so I'm curious, like, I'm so curious, actually, how many people actually are engaging in disordered eating or eating disorders have, would be diagnosable. Um, if, if we maybe I <laughs> you know, if, uh, if we only realized it.
0: So, yeah. Those those are some of the things that that I'm seeing. Absolutely. Gosh, there's so much to that because I'm just thinking Yes. I've experienced so much of that, whether it's like feeling like I need to lose the weight, feeling like my skin doesn't look as good. I mean, I remember a couple years ago seeing this really big influencer talk about how she was taking a break from using filters on her Instagram stories because she just realized how much that impacted her mental health whenever her real face didn't look as pretty as the filtered face. And I was like, Things as simple as that are impacting our well being. It's mind blowing to me. And it's just crazy that that's the world we live in right, right now. I remember, um, you guys know that I'm part of the ARI family. And as part of that community, we did a training with NIDA, the National Eating Disorders Association, about beauty standards at the beginning of last year. And they shared the statistic that something like only 4% of women actually believe they are beautiful. And that was shocking to me. But to your point, I was like, well, that's only the women they recorded because I probably would have answered no on a, (laughs) on a random day, you know? And so it's like, I can't believe this is our normal. I can't believe that these are the standards, these impossible standards that media, social media, especially like you mentioned, and then advertising, all of this retouching is telling us like, that's, that's the standard. And I've seen and I've talked with so many women, I'm sure you have as well, but how that impacts our mental health is crazy. So I'm sure for you, being in this beauty conversation and then also the mental health world as a therapist, like h- how do you see the two connected? Yeah, I mean,
1: the, yeah, to, to your point, they're, they're so connected. And I, you know, the research shows us this. Um, you know, we see things like body dissatisfaction, eating disorders, anxiety, low self-esteem, body dysmorphia. Um, and so, you know, the, the list kind of goes on. And then uh, I keep quoting this quote or this um, study, the latest CDC report, but I really need to look it up. But it was just horrendous, like the statistics, like the around uh, like female, like adolescent mental health, how how much it has like... Uh, I'm trying to remember if it was like depressive mood or anxiety, but the the measures have just drastically worsened like in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but ask myself, like, why, why is that? And, you know, I've talked to a couple of different people on my podcast, and you know, one was so bold to say, like, how could it not be social media? And mm-hmm. I, you know, I only hesitate to say that because, you know, that we don't have research saying for sure this is um causality. Right. Um, but I think that I I think we could probably make put put some like um theories in the mix about how could social media not be impacting our mental health and then you know I think for me like anecdotally I can say like in sessions and things like that uh, of, of course I've spoken with a number of women who struggle with body image and um their relationship with food I think that that is an ongoing theme oftentimes for for the women that I work with
0: mm. I could totally see that. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it's, it's so interesting to me, especially now that I'm a mom, and especially Mm -hmm. because I'm about to have a a girl. Having a daughter is almost a little scary to me because I'm like, Mm -hmm. how do I, how do I protect her or help her navigate all of this? It's like, I feel like I don't even know how sometimes it's just so much to carry. And especially with the addition to social media being such a huge part of our lives on a regular basis, it's something I am still learning. How do I protect myself? How do I limit the voices and kind of proactively help myself with my mental health or comparison or all of those things? Because it's like, So easy. I feel like it's just so easy for especially young girls, high schoolers, junior high. I mean, the time that I was struggling with all those things, social media wasn't even that big as it is now. So I can't even imagine like these young girls, what they're navigating through. So do you have any advice for how, I mean, a woman of any age, but especially someone who's active in the social media world can kind of guard our hearts, guard our minds from all of those messages that can be overwhelming and impact us negatively?
1: Yeah, I think I have a couple like um, like tangible things and then some like theoretical things as well. Um, <laughs> the first thing is, you know, I, I really think limiting use of social media is really key. Uh, Elena Rossini, who's a filmmaker, Italian filmmaker, I just had her on the podcast recently and she, in her film, The Illusionist, she talks about there's this estimate, um, this was like made in 2015, 2016, but at that time they were estimating that by 2020, we would be to the point of media saturation where we are spending 80% of our waking hours on some kind of media. I Mm. spoke with Elena just several weeks ago and she said, I think we're past 80%. Like, I think we've gone over. And so my point in saying that is we are like, we're at that point of media saturation where our minds and our hearts are being soaked, drenched in these literally unreal images and, mm. you know, I think we like to, we, we can maybe pretend that that's not impacting us. But another piece of information that Gene uh, Kilbourne gives us is that babies can recognize a logo at the age of six months. So these images impact us deeply. Mm. And so the reason I say that is because I think we sometimes don't recognize how much this is impacting our hearts and our minds. And so my first thought is let's limit the use. And I um I think about this. We we are we don't have kids at this moment. Um that might be happening in the future. And so I think about, okay, well, I, I really don't want them to be using social media at all. And so I'm like that maybe that's like naive of me to say, but how like how how can we put around like guardrails and boundaries around phone usage and um and social media and maybe mm. I, I actually um one of my students she was uh so she'd be like 18 or 19 and she was the only student in this one particular class cuz we were talking about social media she had not had social media and uh her her perspective was so interesting and
0: hmm.
1: she actually didn't mind i mean maybe there were points at her in her life that she did mind but at that point she was she reported to me that she was super grateful that her parents had not allowed her to have social media because she could see all of the drama it had caused her peers. So one one idea is just really to be mindful about limiting social media. I think also limiting um who we follow. You know, I think that the when we think about advertising there is a message that advertisers are trying to get across and oftentimes they're trying to elicit insecurity or shame. And so I think having some media literacy around what is the message, well, actually more so, what is the emotion they're wanting me to feel so that Mm -hmm. I will buy this product? There is an agenda to advertising and so much of social media and influencing has, you know, advertising baked into it. And so what is this fitness influencer wanting me to believe about this supplement Um, And usually it is, um, you know, we can look at the, how the influencer, like how, what they look like, and usually they will align with um, popular beauty ideals. And so the idea is that if I have this supplement, my body, you know, will look like this person's. And so I think just being critical, uh, having a critical eye, when we look at media um, and advertising to see what is the agenda here? What are they trying to sell me? What emotion are they trying to elicit? And instead of being kind of caught up in the emotional matrix of that particular advertisement, um, and so I think also diversifying our feeds. So instead of maybe mm-hmm. having, again, following like all fitness influencers, maybe I would actually recommend like maybe don't maybe don't follow any fitness influencers because um, usually they have high numbers and again they're trying to sell something um, or at least have some kind of uh, commercial element to their feed. Um, right. Also, I think maybe following different body shapes and sizes, uh, I think that that can be really helpful. Uh, The last thing I'll say about this is more of that theoretical piece that I mentioned, and that is I would invite people to redefine beauty. And I think that can sound really like, um, I don't know, maybe cheesy or something. But the reason why it's so important is because I think what we believe about beauty really matters because ultimately I think we are, you know, as, as women in particular, we are shooting for, for, for beauty. Um, I think that's, that's in us. And when we are defining beauty by cultural cultures, stand or societal standards, it's going to be a perpetual race to nowhere. Um, because Mm -hmm. we're never going to be, uh, we're never going to be that flawless (laughs) fake version because we aren't fake. We aren't plastic. Um, but also like, why would we want that? So Dr. Hillary McBride talks about this idea of burning down cultures, standards of beauty. And actually I've just been thinking about that and how powerful that is like burning it down, like not assessing ourselves or our worth by societal views of beauty at all, but totally redefining the whole thing. And so Mm -hmm. that's why I have, um, In my book, I redefine beauty and on the podcast as the life of God at work in us and among us. And so that is uh, the kind of beauty that I am trying to spend my head and my heart energy in the midst of because it's ultimately that kind of beauty that is going to bring about the thriving and the well-being that my Mm. soul longs for.
0: That's amazing. I love that. That's such a good point about just redefining it. Um, Because I feel like it's one thing to try to fight the standards or go your own way. But if you really don't know what exactly the standard that you're looking for is, it's like you said, it's impossible. It's a race to nowhere. it's, we're never going to be fulfilled. It's never going to be enough. And so For you, even in your own journey, I mean, you were going to see a therapist with your eating disorders, and then now you've gone on this long journey where you're helping others and you've written this book. What does it look like practically for you playing out that redefining of beauty in your own life? Yeah. So I think I've been trying to like, uh,
1: just spend more energy thinking about that kind of beauty, um, can I just say one more thing about the the cultural beauty' Cause i yes, I think please, this is, okay, and then I will talk more about the with how I play that out um because I think sometimes we it can be so hard to walk away from culture 's beauty standards, and what I really want myself to continue to see and invite listeners to see and readers to see how that broken brand of beauty is not good for us, and there is an agenda, and so the agenda mm-hmm. um is basically to make money off of our shame. And so I want to go ahead and just um, call out this quote by Paul Hamburg, who's an assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He says this, the media markets desire and by reproducing ideals that are absurdly out of line with what real bodies really do look like, the media perpetuates a market for frustration and disappointment. Its customers will never disappear. Hmm. So I want to call out the agenda of, uh, I would say, advertisers, of corporations, of um, diet culture to just to show that they are literally trying to profit off of our shame. And I want to call that out so that I think it makes it easier to turn against it and to burn down that idea because, again, it's it's just not good for us. Um, And it's feeding into, I think, powers that are purposefully playing us um but then back to your question of how do i how does that play out in my own life one thing that honestly has been really key in my life is this conversation i'm having on the podcast at impossible beauty i i started to just wonder so i don't like i, I was realizing for the end of my treatment journey like i actually don't think that this is beauty because it's actually not beautiful mm. like what it's provide or like what the fruits of it are not beautiful the fruits of it do not bring life in the way that I think, um, I, I, for me, faith is a really big thing. So when I think about uh, life and generativity, the fruits of cultural beauty are not beautiful. And so I started to think, like, what is beauty then? And so on the, the podcast, I talk to people about a number of things, kind of about their projects that are related to these topics. But also I ask every guest, how do you define beauty? And so when I think about beauty, again, as the life of God at work in us and among us is my own definition. Um, Sometimes I like to think about it in terms of like, um, like a multifaceted gem. And sometimes the the Hebrew scriptures are described as this as well. Um, And and so I have to say that that's where I'm borrowing this from. But um, when we think about beauty, and like, the life of God at work in us and among us. is like this multifaceted gem. Like we all in our own journeys have experienced the life of God at work in our lives. And so when I ask people that question of how they define beauty, another way I would translate that in my own mind is like, how have you experienced God's life at work um, in your story or in your experiences? And so having that conversation um, week in and week out, really has started to rewire my brain and what we know about neurobiology is what fires together wires together. So again, instead of swiping and looking at all these images of, of fake beauty and fake, uh, fake images, essentially, I am trying to spend more of my head and heart space and time on contemplating this like wild beauty, that is actually true. And that is actually eternal.
0: Wow. I love that so much. That's really cool. And I think that's such a an interesting and perfect perspective. Like just looking at it, not so much as like, Oh, appearance-wise, what makes me beautiful according to the world, what I wear, how my skin looks, how my hair looks, how my makeup looks, you know, what my body shape is, and shifting that off of ourselves. Because, I mean, that's a heavy weight to carry. Like, leaving it up to us to to meet these impossible standards, it's just, it's just always empty. We're always going to end up frustrated and just it's an endless cycle, you know. But shifting the focus of beauty off of ourselves and onto God is so freeing. And that's just so like... That's where we get the fulfillment we're looking for. So I love that you're having that conversation and that you're asking people to think for themselves, Mm -hmm. what does beauty mean to you? What does it look Mm -hmm. like for you? And Mm -hmm. how can you notice God's beauty at work in your own life? That that is amazing. So with that being said, talk to us about the book, Soul Mm -hmm. Deep Beauty. What was the heart behind writing this? And what do you really want the readers to hear from this book? The book, again, kind of came from, well, not kind of, it totally
1: came from my journey in intensive eating disorder treatment. And so during the day, I would go to treatment. And then in the evenings, I was actually pursuing an additional degree in spiritual formation. So in the evenings, I would read about like the mystics and um, like Christian mystics and how they experience God's love and shame and grace um, were some additional classes I took. And so that experience, um, again, kind of re shaped my ideas about beauty, but also opened my eyes to everything we've been talking about so far. And I kind of was awakened to this broken brand of beauty and its depleting effects and how I think, you know, I think it's just the water we swim in. And so I just really hadn't questioned it that much. Like probably if someone had asked me, do you think beauty standards are helpful? I probably would have been like, no, probably not. But I didn't realize like the layers of impact, but also the depth of impact. And so Mm. that awakening to how damaging these messages are was the inspiration as well as, uh, like about three quarters of the way through my experience. I, I think I started to see, or I know I started to see how, um, I think like evil has an agenda in the world and, um, I started to see how these messages were i feel being used by by evil um and we could talk about like how, you know, and I don't want to I'm not like a person who thinks that there's like a demon behind every bush. I'm really not. Yeah. <laughs> but I really do. I've I I've, I've just seen too much in my experience to not think that there is like good and light in the world and dark and evil, whatever that means. I don't know all the, you know, the ins and outs of it, Mm -hmm. but, um, I think that, uh, well, Dr. Kurt Thompson talks about how shame is a minion of evil. And I started to see how I think not only are we being played by corporations and advertisers, but I really do think that evil is using the shame that all of this produces, to distract us and disintegrate us and deplete us for the purpose of, you know, if we are misguided and misdirected in these ways, how, what a perfect strategy to mm. take our heart space and our headspace and our energies and our talents um, to redirect it toward something that is fleeting and false so that we actually don't walk into. The fullness of life, but also the fullness of who God has created us to be, so we can create good and beautiful things in the world and so wow. that just made me so i guess angry, but I think in a good way, um and energized to really invite other people to become aware of this, but also to i mean become aware of broken beauty, but also become aware of this invitation to true beauty, where I feel like. We really engage the fullness of life that God invites us Mm. into. Oh,
0: that's so good. Wow. That's amazing. I, for one, cannot wait to get my hands on this book. I'm so excited. I I really agree with you. I definitely think that getting so focused on trying to be enough, trying to be beautiful, Mm. trying to be accepted, trying to reach whatever standard it is that we're striving for it is such a distraction it it we wind up burnt out. I mean I've seen it in my own life, I've seen it for so many other women. we get exhausted, we get frustrated, and we end up ineffective like we spend so much time and energy and focus trying to measure up that we don't even have anything else left to give when we're showing up for our purpose, when we're showing up for our families and relationships like it just totally wipes us out and I I can absolutely see the enemy at work there just taking advantage of us. And it's like, you know, if we start giving into these messages, we're really doing the work for them, you know, like it's mm-hmm. so sneaky. And I hate that so many women, I mean, myself included, I, I still, I still fall into it all the time. It's like, I fall for the trap of, oh, I need this in order to be more beautiful. I need this in order to be more worthy. I need this to be happier. And it's just lies. It's just totally lies. And so I think it's amazing what you're doing to, first of all, call out the lie, but also Mm -hmm. then equip women with the tools that they need to redefine beauty and even what it is we're striving for, what it is we're aiming for, Like helping us better direct our attention and energy to focus on the goodness of God in our lives and let all the rest of it go. So yeah, I just I really, really am grateful for what you're doing and I think this book is gonna help so many women as well as your podcast too. But I'm curious before we go, if you are sitting across from a woman right now who is just really struggling to feel beautiful, struggling to feel like she's enough, what would you say to her? Well, I think the first thing is I I just really want to like I would wanna offer them
1: uh self compassion, an invitation to self compassion because I think sometimes and I know this happened for me, um, it would actually drive me nuts when people would be like, (laughs) I don't know, these struggles with body image or whatever, this is like an idol and blah, blah. Like to me, that just adds on shame. And so Mm. I don't don't think it's helpful. And so I would say that I would invite them to a compassionate stance toward themselves and and, and toward all of us as women. You know, I, I really think advertisers and corporations, they've used psychology to turn beauty against us. And so I really, my hope is that that person would not feel shame for kind of feeding into some of these messages. Cause I I really feel like, again, this is the water we swim in. And so hopefully lifting that a little bit, but then I'd also just invite them to just notice this as like an invitation. Cause I think when, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about, um, the different energies. Because I think like cultural beauty, societal beauty causes us to strive and like keep going for it, keep, um,
0: yeah,
1: keep running after it. Uh, and then the other kind of pursuit of beauty, pursuing seeing the life of God at work in us and among us, just feels restful and invitational to me. Mm-hmm. And it also just recognizes like it's already there, like the image of God is, is like already in you and the vibrancy like the glory and i don't even understand all of this but like the spirit of the living god is like in us and that mm. is like stunning and that is eternal and like in the end everything else is going to fade away um i don't i don't know what's going to happen um uh, at the, you know whenever like for at the end of um whatever this is like this era or whatever you want to call it but beauty standards are are fleeting you know they they come and go with different times and um whatever cultural trends but what we're talking about is is eternal and uh and stunning and that is already in you and so it's almost like a rest in who God has created you to be knowing that his light his life his goodness his image is already there and so I would invite them to to see that to ask God, maybe to help them see it. And like, may we be awakened. Um, May that person be awakened to the light and life of God that is already in them and has already made them beautiful.
0: Mm, I love that so much. That's really, I, I do just feel there's such a peace about that, just acknowledging what's already there. <laughs> mm. Yeah. That's amazing. Thank you so much. I just, I, I have been so encouraged and inspired by hearing your story and just following your journey. Um, so, where can everybody else find you, connect with you, get a copy of your book, listen to the podcast, everything? Yeah, thank you so much. So, the podcast
1: again is Impossible Beauty. And so, if you head to impossible-beauty.com, you'll find the podcast there, but you also find um, some blog entries that I've written about some of these ideas. There's a link to buy the book there. Again, the book is called Soul Deep Beauty Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawless. So you can get it on um, the Impossible Beauty website or you can head to Amazon, bakerbookhouse.com, Target. I think it's at like most of the places, Barnes and Noble.
0: Yes, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Yes, you guys definitely need to follow Melissa. Follow along, listen to the podcast. I promise you, you will walk away encouraged and inspired and empowered every single time. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being here, Melissa. I appreciate you sharing your time, sharing your story, and just everything you're doing to help women redefine beauty for themselves and get free from all the shame Mm. thank you so much hannah thank you so much for taking time out of your day to tune into another episode of the byword show i love having you here and i'm so thankful for your support don't forget to share a screenshot of this episode to let me know you were here i can't wait to talk again soon but in the meantime be sure to come hang out with me on instagram and remember i am cheering you on